Cable Station in New York. Hour. Hold it there now. Shh, shh. You see, the thing about life is no one ever really knows what to expect. Everyone pretends he knows what to expect. They print timetables and schedules. We have things called TV Guide. How would you like to be guided through life by TV Guide? Down through the world of the Beverly Hillbillies and through the medic. Hold on, just a minute. Shh, shh. We're going to be on the air in just five seconds. Four seconds. Three seconds. Two seconds. One second. Go Ladies and gentlemen, we're holding a practice demonstration here tonight. <laughs> it's a, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be great now if at this moment 14,000 guys march in off of Sheridan Square blowing horns, throwing confetti in the air, holding up great big signs that say, Shepherd for President! Take that, Goldwater. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, you know, since this is the eve of a giant political convention, and we Americans are about to undertake another one of our great historical every four-year rituals, it's very difficult, you know, for people outside of America to understand this. Really, they don't have political conventions like this in, say, uh, France. They don't have them like this in England, not this kind. And we in America are going to have our big thing beginning tomorrow night. It all starts. It's a fantastic thing. In fact, one thing must be said before we go any further. Many Americans just think it's a big TV show. <laughs> you know... Just got a big, what a fantastic audience participation show. Have you ever watched any of those demonstrations? Well, as an old, as an old fan of uh, political conventions, and having been inside radio for a long time, TV, you get close to things which most people only see. And I'll never forget one night on a radio station out in the Midwest. I mean, this is this is the show tonight, the first half at least, is going to be about this historical thing that we're about to undertake. You know, you hear all these guys talking about conventions and about what this political candidate says about this issue. I wonder whether any of us ever elect anybody on what he says about any issue. I'm serious. I'm curious about that. And one night in a radio station, I'm sitting with a couple of other guys, and we're listening to all the candidates. And they come into the studio, you know, all, all big candidates before an election, particularly the eve of the election, 
buy all the time they can lay their hands on. TV, radio, billboards, the whole business. Because they feel, you see, that if you go to sleep just before you hit the sack for the day of the big election, that the guy that got the last word in your skull will score tomorrow morning because the American electorate doesn't remember much longer than that. You know? He just hears the last word. Oh, yeah, that's a name I remember. Boing. He walks out. And the proletariat has spoken again. You know, have, you ever, have you ever wondered that, that, great, that great expression, 50 million Frenchmen can't be wrong? Whereas any good French historian will tell you they've rarely been right. <laughs> Just the way it goes, you know. You get 50 million guys, oh yeah, I remember that name, going, oh boy. Well, one night in this radio station, we had all these candidates coming in. It was a big election. In fact, it was a senatorial election. There were thousands of candidates, you know. And, and, and by the way, many of the greatest candidates... And I'd love to see a documentary done on this. Are the candidates that are like the little static in between the big stations, you know, little noises way down. Like there was one guy who was running on the support for the cauliflower farmers party. There is a vegetarian party candidate, you know that, who feels that if he could convert the rest of the world to black strap molasses and a clean colon, there would be no wars. <laughs> This is the elementary theory, you see. Of <laughs> That's spelled with an A, friends, for those of you. You better explain what it means out there. <laughs> well, all these guys arrive, you see, and the big candidates do, too. And so one night, and I'm going to tell you some things that I, sh I suppose you never hear talked about in connection with political campaigns. We might as well talk about them once, once in a great while. And everybody will think you're, you're doing fantasies. Whenever you tell what really happens people think you're making it up. So that's how we get by with it, in case you're wondering. So one night, big election, we're all sitting in the studio, and one after the other, the candidates arrive with their entourage. Each guy comes in with 17 men with hats pulled down. Sort of, you know, have you ever noticed politicians are all sort of big and husky? There's a certain bulk about them certain solidity about them. Even when they're little guys, they're bulky, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they all come striding in, and they've got their speeches, and they've got everything all set and all prepared to go. And we're in the control room. Now, most... I, I don't know whether people really listen to speeches. I've wondered whether people sitting on the other end of a radio set or a TV set actually listen to the speeches. They're fantastic. In the real use of that word, by the way, in case you're interested. Pure fantasy. It's like, it's like watching a giant blimp get bigger and bigger. <laughs> and this blimp gets bigger and bigger, and it's got stars and stripes and spangles, and it's got sequins on it. And it's, it's directed at one thing as it sails over carrying its bombs. The bad guys. The other guys. Have you noticed all political parties are based on one interesting concept? There are good guys and there are bad guys. And whatever party you're in is the good guy party. The other guys either are terribly misguided or they're selfish louts who won't see the real truth. 
And so one night, we're sitting in the studio there, listening to the speeches. And about 8 o'clock, and at midnight, they had a rule that you can't go past midnight with the speeches, because that started election day, you know. There was a law about that. So here it's 8 o'clock, and they're all in there, millions of guys coming in there, coming in and out there, buying every available inch of time. We canceled every show. And every last political candidate for the, for the Senate, by the way, this was the U.S. Senate, and they were running for mayoralty, they were running for representative, they were running for sheriff, they were running for, oh, you know, just running. And the guy's just coming, I'm running, you know, I, I want to get in. <laughs> by the way, I wonder how many guys, wouldn't that be a great political candidate that just comes in, I want to get in, I want to, I've been out all my life, I want in, in. You can't fight City Hall. I want to be City Hall. <laughs> well, uh, by the way, that's the basis of it all, in case you're interested. And so I'm listening to all these guys, and one of my engineers sitting there, what a, he had a sardonic sense of humor, began to note how many times various phrases were used, identical phrases, by opposing candidates. And he'd write them down, like, I believe in all good men and the dignity of labor as well as the freedom of capital. He writes that down. He'd put, you know, like you're playing, like you're playing tic-tac-toe, he'd go ding, 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 you know, <laughs> each guy. So he began, to, he began to compile this list. And about 9.30, he came to me and he says, you know, Shep, this is a fantastic list. He says, I now have the all-inclusive political speech. He has compiled a surefire speech. And so that night, after all of the electioneering had been done, he and I got together, and at midnight, my show came on. Now, my show usually came on with a theme, you know, the whole thing. Just, you, you've heard it. It comes out with a theme, and this is a start out. Instead, this night, at midnight, we gave the station break. There was a slight pause. And then he ran in on the turntable, the sound of a vast crowd mumbling in some hall. You know that tremendous sound? We take you now to the million dollar pier at Atlantic. <laughs> we just let it go for about, for about three minutes, you know, and everybody's, what, what the heck is this? And then he ran in the sound of a tremendous crowd applauding, an enormous auditorium full of people. And there's a great applause. And then way back from the microphone, I'm standing about 30 feet, and I start to say, Oh, delegates! Oh, delegates! Boom, boom, boom with the hammer. Fellow delegates, I stand before you tonight, a man honored beyond all comprehension. A man who stands before you tonight, privileged, indeed honored, to speak for a truly great American. The next president of the United States. Hey! Fantastic applause. We brought that in. We kept that in for at least five minutes. <laughs> and then we faded it out in the crowd, you know, boom, boom, with the gavels. Please return your seats for the delegates. Return to their seats. Please clear the aisles. I stand before you tonight, 
privilege to place in nomination before this great body of august statesmen who have gathered today <laughs> to make known the wishes of the American people. Fantastic applause. <laughs> it went on and on and on. I stand here tonight a man humbled by the destiny that has been placed in these poor, simple human hands. I tell you, I have been associated with my candidate for over 45 years, a friend of labor, a man who understands the problems of capital, a man who recognizes the right of all men to freedom and dignity and justice. <laughs> By the way, if you want to see how it worked, I will cue you when the applause should come in. So give me fantastic roaring applause. We're all set, gang. And now, as we stand on this eve of a historic election, as America faces a crossroads, I know that this group of men gathered here tonight in great convention concave will make the right decision for all Americans. Please clear the aisle. Clear the aisle. Please clear the aisle. Will the delegates return to their seats? Thank you. And as I stand before you, a humble American, I ask all Americans everywhere to cast aside all considerations of party. All selfish considerations because America stands at the crossroads, and if they do that, and I have every faith, every conviction that the American people in their infinite wisdom will make the right choice. And when they make that choice, they will elect the man who tonight we are about to select the next president of the United States. I thank you, I thank you. May I have some water, please? <coughs> Little water, please. <coughs> Will the delegates return to their seats? There have been many unfair charges made. Many evil men who would prefer to see our country go down the drain for their own selfish, <laughs> cynical reasons. But I know, just as well as I know, that I am an American, and that all of us gathered here tonight are Americans. I know that this august group of men selected by party conclave from all over these wonderful United States of America will not be misled. 
by these lying, deceitful men who would rest from this group of people here tonight. The American flag and carry it to foreign shores and we won't allow them, will we? And so, I say to you, wherever you might be, and I say to you, gathered tonight in this great convention hall, that we stand on the brink of a historic decision. We stand now, men, at the crossroads of history. And what we shall do here tonight could very well decide the fate of the Western countries, nay, indeed, the world, for centuries to come. And so, I place in nomination the name of a sterling stalwart American who has been fighting evil, deceit, who has been fighting those underground forces which are always out to wrest from the American people their sacred heritage of freedom, their sacred, nay, indeed, I say, their God-given, beauteous, wondrous, and almost, and I can't tell you, friends, tonight how I'm carried. I'm just going to have to beg your forbearance. That emotional scenes have no place where men are gathered to make a momentous decision. And so I place tonight in nomination the name of a man, a great American. exactly the way the radio show went. For one half hour, we never mentioned the name of the candidate. We used all available cliches. And as we placed the name in nomination and the band marched in, we had a fantastic band record of bands, people yelling and hollering and throwing bombs and screaming. It got higher and higher until finally we just went right off the air. And they never did hear the name of the man who was nominated. We got over 5,000 calls for people who said, I want to vote for him. Who is he? <laughs> Probably right now, W.O.R. is swamped. <laughs> now, now, you know what's interesting, though, about it? Is that we will get next week... 642 angry letters from Republicans, 647 angry letters from Democrats, 422 angry letters from Socialists, all claiming we did a rotten, underhanded satire on their own candidate. <laughs> you know, uh, 
It's, it's, uh, this, this actually happened in a radio station, as you saw it happen here tonight. And, and you know, you notice the feeling, the great feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach when you're allowed to applaud just out of the blue. I think this is a very significant attitude in mankind, you know, this, this, this desire to cheer, this desire to be part of something. And we'll tell you one other, do you want to hear another election story? Yeah. Now that we're on the subject of elections, by the way, uh, what radio station is this? There's the station that loves you, <laughs> George. The concerned station, the John Gambling station. <laughs> well, uh, for those of you who are interested, there are seven John Gamblings. And WOR has a supply of gamblings that are going to last well into the 21st century. We're all set. They're now in their sixth generation. But one of the, one of the greatest uh, things that I ever saw happen in a uh, in a con in, in an election and working in a radio station down in the grassroots you really experience it and you see it raw stripped of all the phoniness and all the jazz you know when you see Huntley and Brinkley <laughs> Cronkite all those cool cats sitting out there commenting you know, you think that, that, that there was a parallel between elections and some kind of a giant space shoot. You know, everything is under control and they have machines. They have, you know, have you noticed that we have an idea now that machines somehow make the elections more official? And, and, and less, how shall I say, less tenuous, less shifty. In fact, I know doctors who have placed machines. I have a friend who is a doctor who placed five big machines in his office. Diathermy was one. Never uses it. Got dust, you know, he keeps them polished. He says it gives his patients a feeling of security. <laughs> this is an official doctor, you know. He's got a lot of meters and stuff. And he comes over and hits them, you know, actually says, how's it feel, Charlie? It's okay. But if he stands back on the machine, somehow, you know, you feel better about it. Well, actually, the machine is playing a big thing in politics, but don't think for a minute that it is any different than it was. It's just different kinds of machines. And I'll tell you a story that happened in a radio station, and it was in a town in the Midwest. I was innocent, as most of us are all the way through our lives, you know. <laughs> Very innocent. I just wonder how many people... Who, who made the great comment? There was a great line once written about the innocent. Who was it? The line said roughly this. The innocent are very rare. And since they are very rare, they don't meet often. But when they meet, there are dead bodies all around them. Well, uh, this is true, you know, in a lot of ways. And so I'm, I'm, I'm an innocent person. And I got a job. Of course, I, I'd just gotten out of the Army. It was one of my first jobs in radio. And I was working in a station in a tank town. A real tank town, boy. And I mean in the term tank. Every Saturday night, it staggered, you know. <laughs> real up and down. <laughs> That's where the expression came from, you know. 
and every 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 election they had in this town right across the line it was a state line ran right through the town and this side of the state line was pure and innocent composed of a town and a state where the taverns closed at 10 every night and knee-high orange was considered a very strong beverage <laughs> now right across the street across the state line was another state and you never saw such a such a sinful cesspool of human passions right across the street the entire town is nothing but joints swingers chicks up on the table dancing with little stuff hanging on their ears you know tassels flying guys yelling and hollering and staggering up and down the street the entire town was devoted to one thing s-i-n in capital letters well of course i'm in the good side i'm on the other side of town and it was on the other side of town where the radio station was <laughs> it covered both towns now there was an election that was held every year in the sin town now the sin town by the way had at one point life magazine did a piece on them and it said that in this town of about 8,000 people, and this is a fact, there were 647 taverns. Now, they didn't only sell beer, they sold the whole works, everything. Anything that can be bought anywhere in the world was on sale there. In spades, boy, all the way. You'd get down and you could feel the streets jiggling, you know. And the town that I lived in would look at night over there and feel cheated <laughs> and you'd see that glow in the sky over there you know and, and you'd be in this side in this town and everything is dark you know and people are pushing little baby carriages around and guys are walking down the street with ties on and you could hear at two o'clock in the morning when you're laying in your sack there in with the maple trees and and the little you know birds out there asleep you'd hear the other town you know, just a steady <laughs> once in a while you and you know that cry of the human being in the in the extremis of passion that it really gets them out there in the dark you know? and so naturally there would be periodic campaigns on the part of the good town to do away with the bad town and the bad town just went on you know yelling and hollering and hitting each other in the eye and screaming and every couple of minutes you well they had an election every year there and every every human condition finds two group of peoples arrayed against one another there are the swingers and there are the other guys <laughs> now the balance of power shifts from time to time and in general I would say that the swingers have got the best lines I have suspected that the that the old phrase that the devil has all the best lines in the theater is absolutely true as it is in life can you imagine me up here running for office with this fiendish beard <laughs> and I look down on all of you see I'm the devil Mephistopheles I look down on all of you and I say friends you all know that I'm running for an important office right 
I am going to give to each one of you. And I'm going to see that all the people who elect me can do that thing which they've always wanted to do. What is it, friends? <laughs> you don't even have to spell it out, you know. And boy, you ought, you, you ought to hear the balance going when that one hits. Well, you see, over across town, there was this clean division. There were the reformers and there were the hollerers. Now, the hollerers had all the best of it because everybody in town, with just a very few exceptions, worked in these joints. I mean, you know, you got a town full of nothing but strip teasers, guys that are running the tables, you know, dice players, drinkers and hollerers. That's the major issue. And incidentally, their chief source of business was the other town. <laughs> it is true. The other town was consisted of nothing but steel workers. Now, I don't know whether you have seen the 4 to 12 shift from the open hearth and the blast furnace from the big steel mill in the dead of winter come home heading towards this little safe, quiet trundle bed at 12.30, passing through a gigantic cesspool of sin. They get off those buses en masse with their lunch buckets and they go in. Well, within 10 minutes, you never saw anything like it, yelling and hollering and fist-fighting. And three and a half hours later, they go staggering home after a hard day at the mill. <laughs> they really do. And their wives ask him, well, how come you were late? Of course, he's got four eyes across his... <laughs> we had an explosion in the mill. You know, with a bottle hit him on the side, his clothes torn off, you know. She says, but you smell funny. He says, that's what they use in the fire extinguishers. <laughs> you know, this is the way man always is. So. <laughs> so, so every year there'd be a big election. And the reform guys would come on. You see, there'd be all kinds of ministers and reverends and people of good thought would come on and they would try to get the rest of the town to go straight. They would say, do you realize the evil and the corruption that exists in this city? And you could just hear that unspoken applause. <laughs> Eight million people applauding evil, corruption, and sin. You know? You know what I always say? I always say if you're a reformer and you want to get in, Promise them even more and greater and exotic sins. And once you get in, turn the screws all off, you know. Turn it off. Turn off all the faucets and they wouldn't know what hit them. But whenever you go to a sinner and tell him that he should be, he should be on your side because you want, you're going to do away with sin, forget it. And so year after year, these poor guys would come in and give speeches. Well, I'm a kid, you know, I don't know anything about all this up to this point. And so one day I get home from the Army and I'm working in this radio station. And about three or four days before the election, my boss comes in. And by the way, this was a two-man radio station. There was one announcer that came on at seven and worked till he fell over. <laughs> and I would pick him up and throw him out in the hall and work the rest of the night, you know, just 
doing everything. Newscast, man on the street, I'd sing, dance, everything. I had about seven names and about 15 voices. And so, no, this is truth. <laughs> and so the boss called his staff in, me and Charlie. And he says, now, you know, we're going to have complete coverage of this election. <laughs> he says, we're going to be absolutely fair. We're in the business of communicating with the public. We're responsible. And Charlie's sitting there nearsighted, you know, with his glasses bust. Yes, that's right. And I'm sitting over there. Yes. All of a sudden, you begin to feel, you know, I'm part of this great republic. I'm part of it all. You know, you can feel history marching, and suddenly they've called for you to join Hannibal's army. And I'm here. And he said, now look, there will be men come in here to give their speeches. Each one of you treat them with respect. We want you to listen carefully. Don't laugh in the control room. <laughs> Not like last time. <laughs> and by the way, that's always what happens. You ought to see some guy sitting in the control room when some candidate's in there. All of a sudden, he disappears. You know? <laughs> Have you ever noticed those long pauses in speeches? <laughs> well... He says, now look, we've got this coming in. And he says, now, the reform candidates are coming in. Treat them as if they're sincere. <laughs> Especially when they talk about sin. I don't want you bringing any beer in on those nights. None of that stuff. Now, you all said any questions? We both sit. We're Americans. We've both been in the Army, you know. We've seen it all. We know about American democracy. We had civics classes at Hammond High, you know. It's funny how we take these civics classes, and they never tell you about the Sapio in them, you know. <laughs> or Robert Moses, you know. Uh, uh, have, you ever read, have you ever read a little simple description of how democracy works, how simple? All the people parade, you know, they elect, and they, they decide, and they have conventions. So simple except when it gets into actual operation. And so the big night arrived. Now, these were all little local candidates. They didn't have a lot to spend, and they want to put it in the right spots. And so they all tried to get the spot right behind the big request program, you know, with all the music and stuff, just before the news, and it's supper time, when everyone was home. And so, guess who is on duty? <laughs> no, Charlie had seniority. Charlie had left ten minutes before the first guy with the frock coat arrived. Charlie had seen it, you know, and so he's gone. And so I'm sitting in there. It was my first election, and I felt very important. My engineer is sitting in the next control room, and I'm the announcer. It was my job to say, and now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you tonight an address by the Right Honorable Stanley L. Wisniewski, who is running for the post of Alderman of the Seventh Ward. He does not necessarily represent the views of the management. And Stanley would come in and read his speech. And of course, you had this—I had this feeling that I was Bo Carter or somebody important. And so the first guy arrived, and I'm sitting in the control room waiting.
And he came in, and he's this nice little man. Now, we all know good men. Really serious. And immediately I recognized that here was the kind of... We had an uncle, as a matter of fact, like that. My uncle, I had an uncle who had a little thin mustache. And he had this, this faint gray hair from the time he was 10. <laughs> yes, Uncle Fred always looked like he was about to cry. He was a pure good man. You know it. It shone right out of his eyes. Well, Uncle Fred came in. <laughs> Only it was somebody else's Uncle Fred. You know, I recognized him. He came in there and he has three other little Uncle Freds with him. <laughs> and they've got their little speech and they have bought a half hour of time. Now, I don't know how many pennies contributed by each little right thinker in the town it took. How many strawberry festivals? <laughs> How many penny suppers? Till finally they bought a whole half hour. Now that was $18 in this radio station. They were going all out, you know. They were, they were reaching the electorate. It's at supper time. That's class A time, you know. And so he walked in, and I'm sitting in the control room. He came up to me, and he said, Mr. Shepard. And I said, yes. He says, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I've never been on the radio before. I said, well, that's all right. I'm here. <laughs> I'd been on a good, cool four weeks. See? And I said, I'm here. And he said, well, if, if, uh, if I lose my place or anything, you don't mind if I, if I fumble. It's still around. I said, no, no, you go right in there. We'll, we'll, we'll be, we're here. It's all right. Nobody notices. And so he goes in. And I said, watch for my cue. When you're ready to go, I'll point to you. And so the time came, 6.30, and I came on with my big voice, and I say, ladies and gentlemen, we now bring you a candidate on the reform ticket who is here to speak to you of their ideals and their aims in the forthcoming election, which will be held tomorrow beginning at 8 a.m. The candidate is the Right Reverend Stanley L. Wisniewski of the 17th Unitarian Church. His views do not necessarily represent those of the management. And now, here is the candidate. And this little man stands in He looks at me, and I could see in his eyes that, that look of a tiny rabbit with a gigantic capital limited on the B&O line approaching with all its steam up. He looks. He had seven eyes while I looked, you know. And I kept pointing. Electorate. Uh, uh. Fellow citizens, I can't tell you the sin and the corruption that is rampant in our fair city. And I stand for you tonight, a candidate on the reform ticket. And as he talks, he went further and further. And he was using a different speech than the one he had given to me before he went on the air. The one he gave me before he went on was one of these speeches, you know, with the nice little platitudes. It says, like, we believe in the freedom of man and all that stuff. And now he is saying, Charlie L. Watson is no good. <laughs> he hits his nine-year-old daughter, and I'm standing in there, and my engineer, you know, with, what, here's this little man. Well... 
He goes for it, but we don't know what, you know, you can't run in and grab it. Come on, you, let's go. Back on a script about the things about freedom and all that, you know. Well, he starts laying it down. He says, he says do you know that the Riptide is run by a bunch of thieves? The Riptide was the big local nightclub that was operated by a guy named Smokey Joe. Smokey Joe had been one of Al Capone's ace trigger men. And Smokey was given this as a kind of retirement present, see? The town. I'm telling you the truth. Smokey ran his town. You know those pictures in the Allstate TV commercials? You know? Well, those, those two big hands were Smokies, you know? It's too bad. You know, wouldn't it be great to do a takeoff on that TV commercial? Two big claws. <laughs> well, there, you know, and he says, Smokey Joe and Greasy Thumb Goosick every night above the riptide. And he's going on like this. Well, you know, we're panic stricken in there. You know, the truth is coming out. You know, hardly anybody says the truth in a campaign speech. When all of a sudden I notice outside of the studio, these were big glass studios, you see, and a big glass, I see six guys in black overcoats. <laughs> so help me, I am not inventing it. I'm telling you the truth. Six guys in overcoats with, you know, those white hats that snap down that they all wear in the Jimmy Cagney movies, and they're all standing there looking in, see? And the reverend is going on in there, and he finally finishes his speech... And he's six or seven guys are in a little knot. It's pineapple shaped. You know? And they're all standing there. You'll have to explain that one later. I picked pineapple for its symbolic reasons. And they're all standing there looking through this glass. And this is this actually happened. And I don't know what to do. And they're knocking. They're knocking on a glass. And a little man is in there reading, and he takes one look back, and he sees sin. Sin has arrived to speak its peace. Well, you know, that's pretty tough. A guy with a pulpit is not used to the devil saying, wait a minute, equal time here. You know? Well, he took one look, and I take him off the air, and I say, that was the Reverend so-and-so, the Reformed candidates. There's a little shake in the voice. And I say, we now bring you 15 minutes of transcribed organ music. <laughs> and on came Ava Maria. <laughs> and my engineer's in there. He's white as a sheet, you know, and he's got a whole... And I go into him and I say, who are these guys? And he's speechless. He's sitting there. You know, this guy lived in this town for 48 years, you know, and I'm just a new guy in this radio station. I don't know anything about life. He says, it's Smokey Joe. <laughs> I mean, Smokey Joe was legendary. There he is. You know, it's like seeing Sidney Greenstreet in person, you know, comes in to raid the joint. I said, Smokey Joe, what does he want? He says, you know what he wants. I said, no, I don't. He says, you're going to find out. Well, a little reverend comes into the control room and he says, was I good? Was I good? You know, you don't know what to say. It's two ladies said it, you know, and I says, yes, Reverend, pay me the money. 
it gives me $18 and pennies and quarters. And he goes out the back way. And there we are. Well, luckily, there was no way for Smokey Joe to get in the studio. We had these doors that only work one way. You should know this town. You'd know why. I'm telling you, they did. They only work one way. You can only get in out like that. Or if there was a little release, you know, like in the bank, when you press the button, it buzzes. You let them in, see? So he's out there banging like that, looking in there. Seven guys looking in there, banging on a glass. And I'm in there trying to do, you know, and now Dinah Shore sings for the benefit of all of you kids out there. Boom, 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 the glass. Dinah Shore, he wants to talk, you know. Well, he's banging, and finally I get up and I walk to the glass when there's a record on. I say, what do you want? And he says, give me the boss. Who's the boss? Well, I don't know whether you know. Wait just a minute, fellas. I don't know whether you know that when the announcer is on duty, now give me your attention, though. They're, they're all right. This isn't Greasy Thumbs Gang. Whenever the announcer is on duty, he is in charge. I'm the boss. And I say, yeah, I'm the boss. He pulls back. Come out of there. I said, what do you want? He says, I want to buy all the rest of the time on a radio station. Don't let none of them guys get on them sore heads. I said, you want to buy the rest of the station all night? He said, yeah, how much is it? And I rush back in and I call the, the manager of the station. I say, there's a guy outside who wants to buy all the time till midnight. He wants to buy every last minute. And he says, who? He thought at long last a sponsor, you know. <laughs> I say, it's, it's Smokey Joe. And there's this long, pregnant pause. He says, give it to him. I say, how much do I charge him? He says, give it to him! Quit arguing, give it to him! I say, okay. And I go to the door and I say, you're on in two minutes, Smokey Joe. He says, play records. He says, I want to just say one thing. I said, okay. I said, do you have a script? Script! Smokey Joe goes in the studio and he stands in front of the microphone with his coat on. And I turn the mic on and he says, This is Smokey Joe. You hear me? And everybody in town, you know, they drop their hammer. If you're going to vote tomorrow at 8 o'clock, you know who you're going to vote for. This is Smokey Joe. I'll see you tomorrow at the polls. Good night. And speaking of thugs, this is the shiftless gang from the Red Garter right down the street. And they arrive every week, every Saturday night down here to the limelight just to sit here and blow. So blow, man, let's go.
This is WBOR Radio, your station for news.